and welcome back to Insemination. My name is Laura High, your chaotic sperm donor baby of the podcast world. And I am so excited, as I always say, I know I always say that, but I am really, really excited for this next podcast episode because we have a little bit of a, of a change of pace that I'm just, I'm really excited about. Today, we are having on one of my amazing, amazing TikTok friends, Desiree, or as maybe you all know them as, Outspoken Adoptee. That is right. We've got an adoptee advocate coming on the podcast to share her story and to talk about why it is so important for donor-conceived people and adoptees to work together. We are our best allies, and it has been just such a joy becoming Desiree's friend over this last couple of years, and I'm so excited that you are going to get to know her like I have. And I'm also very excited to announce that I have been officially hired as a comedian for the world famous Comedy Cellar. I am unbelievably so excited. I am getting shows and I'm getting booked and it's so exciting and it's amazing. And if you wanna come see me at Comedy Cellar, all of the tickets are www.laurahigh5.com. Please know that I get new show dates every single week. Tickets sell out so, so fast and so quick. So if you want to come see me, you got to buy that ticket immediately. But I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get to the episode and have you all meet Desiree. Well, welcome to the podcast, Desiree, or as we all know, at Outspoken Adoptee. How are you doing? I am good. How about yourself? I am so good. And I am like, can I, I am so excited that you agreed to come on this podcast (laughs) because like... (laughs) I mean, you, you are, have quickly become like one of the most important confidants voices quickly in my life. Um, your, your voice, your story, how you interpret and how you think about things is just unlike anybody else. I look up to you so much and I'm just, I'm so blessed and I'm so grateful that you have come onto my podcast and we can talk about the importance of the allyship between adoptees and donor conceived people. Because very quickly, as soon as you and I started talking, we were just like, fuck yes, powers combined. And it has just been, you've just been. And if I remember correctly, we didn't start off so well. Like I went hard in your comment. (laughs) Well, I I went hard in one of your videos on your comments to, I want to say it was a mother that was okay having her with her children, having like a hundred siblings. Oh, so she wasn't okay. And that was, I think that that was, that there was a a miscommunication. We did, you did go, you did go hard, but it was all, (laughs) it was, it was just a misunderstanding because she was saying like, yes, my kid had a hundred siblings and understandably, because there are recipient parents who are like, yeah, fine. My kid has a hundred siblings, whatever. And like that does. Um, whereas she wasn't okay. She was, um, but it was like, her and I had like had conversations privately. So like I knew this, but like right. I can totally understand why there was that misinterpretation um, yep. of going like, no, 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 I promise she's not okay with it. I promise she isn't. <laughs> she just, she's, but I, I promise she isn't like, and that's like one of the reasons she's pissed off is because her kid has a hundred siblings, but I like, I understood why yeah. there was that misunderstanding. Um, but it was like, but I am so glad that like we worked through that and became confidants and yeah. partners in this because our communities so intersect, so intersect. They do. And I wanted to 
to bring you on and talk about obviously your stories and that and how kind of that um, that Venn diagram, because we are donor conceived people and adoptees are we are essentially siblings of the baby industry. Yep. And what we have very quickly discovered is that it's so important that we actively are both um uplifting each other's um uh, uplifting each other's voices because I- i'm sure you because i know that you all get this a lot in your comment section because i get it a lot in mine whereas people go like well i'm just gonna go adopt or like yeah. well adoption's just an-, an always an answer and the fact that i got it like you know you know i come in and i tag all of you in and go like i would listen to adoptee voices the adoption industry is just as awful if not worse than the fertility industry and i know right. that you all tag me into your comment sections of listen to donor conceived voices yep. um and we're fighting a multi-billion dollar industry which is the Absolutely. baby and so we have to listen to each other because i do think that there was this separation between our groups because i know so many people from the fertility industry so many donor conceived people would um say like don't do donor conception go- just go do adoption and i know mm-hmm. that adoptees would be like don't do adoption go do donor mm-hmm. conception see and for me i i don't like any of it <laughs> I, I personally am of the type that, you know, and I do, I, <clears throat> I say things probably a little bit more brash um, than people think should be said, um, you know, but I really want people to hear that language, strong language. I want people to get it. I just cannot see creating children for profit, for desires of other people. Like it's, it's weird to me. And I guess that's because I've got the mindset of the product. I was commodified. I was a fully commodified human in the way that my adopted mother actually went and custom ordered me. She specifically said she wanted a peanut butter skinned baby girl with black curly hair. I was in every way a commodified human when you can go in and order (laughs) what you want. And they joke about how fast it was that I was nine months to the date that they went in and they were getting a baby. It was almost like a pregnancy. It's amazing how people will truly fool themselves into thinking that what they are doing is okay and normal. And when you take a step back, you know, it's dystopian. It's so dystopian to go and custom order humans in any form. The fact any that, form. The the fact that you were custom ordered as like it's as like a piece of furniture. Mm-hmm. Is a designer handbag. The fact that like, you know, requesting peanut butter skin is like it, it just makes your skin crawl. It's weird. And I used to see it as this beautiful thing of how I was wanted. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. I was ordered. (laughs) You know, I mean, it is a want, but, you know, and people are creating humans for what I feel are their own selfish wants, needs, and desires, not because you are helping a child. Helping a child is the thousands of children in foster care that have had their parental rights stripped from them, they're not going home. So they need a home. They absolutely, that is a child in crisis. When you are coercing young mothers that you're a better fit than they are, 
you are commodifying that human for your own needs. The fact that it's so commercialized for babies, the want and the need is for babies. People still believe that we are blank slates, that you can just take us from the womb, put us on a new mother, and things are just magically okay. Mothers and babies are not interchangeable at all. (laughs) And we need to start to have that human connection back to the people that we are creating in, you know, donor conceiving and that we're creating in adoption, whether that be going after a young pregnant mother that you can pick, Mm -hmm. you know, you can pick and choose the mothers that you want, the races of the children that you want, the genders. There's still so much commodification to it that it's just, it's not normal. If you truly want to help a child in crisis, we need to help the children that are truly in a crisis. Because we have pre-birth matching, which I completely feel should be outlawed. It is a very coercive practice in couples being picked by birth mothers, and then they walk along the adoption process together. They get to go to appointments. Um, they get pictures of ultrasounds. They're very much connected to make it more real to make it more feel like they are this is their baby uh the ownership is amazing how these people can claim ownership over a human being that isn't even theirs yet that's still in the belly of the mother and so a lot of times they're in the delivery room the first person to touch this baby isn't even its birth mother It's the adoptive parents. It's the first person that touches this child. And that is a womb wet baby. They couldn't, I mean, it's so, they wanted that baby so much that they are going to take it straight from the womb. This is more to myself, but I do see society feeling this way about us in the way that they treat adoptees, former foster youth, and any displaced adult when they speak out. Um... I feel like we are societal bastards. Yeah. We are these children that society has turned their back on in some way, whether it be our birth families or foster families, anyone that has mm-hmm. displaced us. Now we are seen as these societal bastards that roam around. And when we are taken in, we need to be grateful eternally for that. Grateful, lucky, blessed, all of it. So when we start to speak out about how this industry has commodified us and that things aren't as beautiful as they seem, people can't handle it. People cannot handle it and they fall apart. And I I see people do it in your comments as well. Would you have rather not been created? Which is, and and for me, it's like, you know, and I can only speak for myself where it's just like, no, I'm I'm like, I'm very happy I'm here. I'm very happy I'm here. But that doesn't take away the ability for me to be critical on an industry that should be criticized. I'm like, look, I, in relation to other donor conceived people, I'm fairly lucky. Um, I am like, I've had medical problems, but like, I'm really okay. But donor conceived people have died due to the negligence of this industry. Like how, like what, what, why on earth would I be like, well, I had a good experience. So screw over the rest of you. Like what kind of like, no, this is empathy for my community. Like, absolutely. I don't understand that. I I really don't understand that that space where and I see that you guys deal with that a lot with also adoption where it was like, well, I had a good adoption. I had a good experience. And I see none of you like 
And it's like, that's great that you had this that experience, but systemically, look what's happened to a lot of us. You got yep. lucky in your donor conception, in your adoption, and that's great. So happy for you. But systemically, look at the problems that are existing. Why can't you make the space to help out or give space to your community members who were hit by the system really hard? Absolutely. And I... I call those the glitter bombers, the happy adoptees that come in and they just want to blast us with, well, they're lucky. They got a good existence. They got a good family. And I tell them it's like drawing straws. No child should draw straws for care. Could you actually visually imagine a room of children that need families that are in crisis and they all have to go pick a straw for the level of care that they're going to receive. There's no guarantee we go to just along the lines with donor conceived people. There's no guarantee we go to good families. We see this in our own community um, where there is, there's no guarantee that these people are going to adequately care for every single one of our needs in life. And And I I do think that it is, and I do think though, like kind of like, you know, sort of kind of moving on in the realm. Sorry, I'm going to start again. And I think it is, I think it's like, I'd I'd love to just take this opportunity to kind of like highlight one of the differences between adoption and donor conception is that, that I do think is very, very important to underline is no matter what, what way we slice it, adoption starts with trauma. It is about a family breaking up. There's no way around it. That is what. And that I do think is the difference between adoption and donor conception. I think with donor conception, if we can get donor conception to an ethical place where we um, completely annihilate, like, you know, we completely get rid of um, anonymity, where it becomes donor conceived centered. I do believe that donor conception can be ethical it doesn't have to have um it doesn't have to have like that you know separation that trauma of that separation that lack of um genetic mirroring built into it it doesn't have to have that and i think that that's the difference between adoption and donor conception is with adoption there's no way to get around it with donor conception i do in my personal opinion and if there are donor conceived people who disagree with me like legit that's totally like i you know you're you know these are at least just my thoughts. Um, and I'm obviously not going to talk over another donor conceived person because this is complicated. But I do believe that that is a important distinction um, between the two of us. Um, Absolutely. And that needs to be. And I and I remember when that was like first explained by you and other adoptee advocates that it, there's no way to get around it. It starts with trauma, I think, is such an important piece for all of society to understand when. We look at adoption. We have to look at it from that lens. Um, But I would love to kind of continue with your story about and, you know, we already started off so um, on such a a horrific note of, uh, you know, talking about how you were custom ordered. Um, And I'd love for you, if you feel comfortable to kind of talk more about your story and what happened. Absolutely. So um, going Back to that, you know, I was custom ordered for my white adopted mother. Um, She had had three boys, naturally. No problem having children. She just wanted a girl. Mm. How do you want me to refer to 
all the parents in here? Like, do we want to say adoptive mom, birth mom, birth dad? Like, how, how do you want Absolutely. me to refer? Let's, we can distinguish them. Yeah. Do you, uh, I mean, like, what are what are your language choices? Because I know Dana I pretty can... much just call I have I have distanced myself from them so much that mm-hmm. she is my adopted mother. Okay. That's it. I yep. just, yeah. she's my adopted mother. She's my adopted father. They are nothing to me. <laughs> I just want to check because everyone wants different language and I Absolutely. always want to respect some it. people. They feel that those are their parents. Yeah. And I want yep. to respect what everyone, what everyone wants. Okay. So only boys. So, yes. so she had three biological sons and in the delivery room of the very last boy, um, she made my dad, my adopted dad promise to get her a girl. And of course, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you just gave birth. Like, calm down. Um, So they, five years later, they did exactly that. Um, This was a woman who, to the day she died, got everything she ever wanted, including a human. She, you know, if she wanted something, he went and made sure that she got it. Um, It, growing up, I, I did grow up very privileged um, in where I grew up. It was a very nice upper middle class community. Um, I grew up in a beautiful three-story home um, overlooking a lake or a pond that I got to go down to. That became my safe place was to go down to that pond. Um, My brothers are 14, 13, and five years older than me. And so the relationship between the two oldest was more of I saw them, they were caretakers sometimes, but not really a part of um, what I would consider the immediate family that I grew up with, which would have been the younger brother and obviously my adoptive parents. Okay. And I mean, even my elementary school was nestled in my neighborhood. Like I really understand where I grew up and how I grew up, but I also grew up completely cut off from my culture, my heritage, um, anyone who even remotely looked like me. Uh, It wasn't until third grade that I actually got to see other Black kids, other Hispanic kids, Asian kids. And it only lasted about nine, 10 months before we went back to our other house. And it was it was the best nine months, but it really opened my eyes. Growing up, I didn't have a lot of language for racism. Mm-hmm. It was never talked about in my home. So when people were blatantly racist against me, I didn't have the language to understand that that was racism. Um, there's just there's so many dynamics. Growing up, what we we call transracial adoption. Mm-hmm. I you know growing up being a black child in a white home, in a white environment. Um, it's very damaging. It's very, you know, it's hard. It's it's damaging to our self-esteem, to our identity, to so much about us. And people don't understand how hurtful it is to grow up that way. And also to grow up with parents and a family that had a lot of internalized racism before bringing a child of an ethnic background that they're not comfortable with. If you're not comfortable with these people in your inner circle at all times, you how are you truly comfortable caring for a child in that same community? 
it's it it's telling to me. Um, my white adopted father says that I never bonded to my adopted mother. Um, he said that she treated me very much like a doll, that when she wanted to play with me, she'd take me down off the shelf, dress me up, do my hair. And then when she was done, she'd put me back. I have no core memories of playing dolls with my mom or anything. Um, it, it just, it's not there. She, I was her token child to walk through life as a upstanding Christian woman. Um, it, you know, she was a beautician by trade, yet never learned how to do my hair properly. Um, never asked any for any black woman's help. They, they really just did not understand what they were getting into, I think. And once she realized that I wasn't in it the same way that she was in it, mm -hmm. she just completely backed away from me. And in a way, you know, I had my adopted aunt, her sister used to always tell me that it's so weird. You lost two mothers in life. Why you would ever say that to a child? I don't know, but she said that she was a child. Oh, all the time. It's so a core memory of always hearing my aunt Allie walk around and go, Oh, it's so sad. You lost two mothers because my, and the reason, sorry, the reason she says that is my adopted mother had a stroke when I was seven, massive stroke. Um, she was, in the hospital for months. I was bounced around between the neighbors, the family, everywhere. Um, and because of that stroke, it did change her. It made her even more angry towards me, more hateful, spiteful towards me on top of the fact she just didn't want to care for me. So my aunt would love to say, wow, you know, it's crazy in life that you lost two mothers. You've lost your birth mother and now you've lost your adopted mother. The things, because they could all see that she was not a mother. The things that people... They could all see this. But I, pick on the child. I, I will <laughs> always be dumbfounded by the shit adults think is okay to say to a child. Absolutely. I'm always like, what on... How on earth do you think that was appropriate? Um, but I'm, I'm just... So... If you again, um, if you if you don't mind me asking, um, and, and if any of this is 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 you're not comfortable with, please 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 say no. Um, I love boundaries. Um, so you could at a very young age know that like your mom does not love you. Like you you oh, could absolutely. tell. And, absolutely. And how old I, and I mean maybe this is impossible to answer but when did you like could you always feel the you just maybe didn't have the language for it but could you feel that the internalized racism within your family that was always there or was that like could you or did that or did you not start like feeling it until later so the love was definitely apparent even as a child um if it wasn't to benefit her I couldn't do it I you know, I wanted to play sports. She wanted me to dance. Mm. She took me to a couple dance classes when I refused. This wasn't my thing. I wanted to play soccer. Um, I just didn't get to play sports. So she would always make sure to show me who was in charge, who in this family was in charge. And it wasn't me. Um, that was that was always evident. Um, her clothes came from the mall. Um, she did thrift a little bit here and there with her family, but her clothes, her perfume, her makeup all came from the mall. 
where did my clothes come from? They came from Kmart and places like that because she wanted me to show me that she was the woman of the household. Um, I went into a home with I, I with the four males, and out of the four males, three of them are pedophiles. One is actually a convicted and registered pedophile. Um, so because she had that knowledge of what her husband and her sons were doing, I had to know my place. I was not the woman of the household. I was not her husband's spouse. I was the daughter. I, you know, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like I knew my place very early on. I knew where I, where I sat. Um, she never advocated for me. And I think that was another part of where the love was never there was because she never advocated for me. Um, instead of taking me to the doctors, I just didn't go to doctors. I got strep and tonsillitis every year as a child, but never was it really, you know, it was maybe a call-in prescription. Oh, she has that you know, tonsillitis again, give me a script because I, I core memories of going to the doctor got, they're not there. Those are memories that children have of going to their pediatrician, going to their doctor. I went to the eye doctor. I got glasses and I went to the dentist, but those were places that she could control the narrative of what was going on. She was not going to lose her I call him a cash cow. <laughs> she wasn't going to lose her cash cow because she was afforded the ability to stay at home and not have to work. She wouldn't lose that. Her, uh, you know, it, it's. What do you I mean? Knew the love um, was never there. What do you mean, um, losing your losing her cash cow? What 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 do you mean by that? So my father was the only one that worked. Okay. So she would have lost, I mean, by reporting him, that means that Understand. she would have okay. lost her income in a sense. And that ability to be afforded this big house overlooking a lake and not having to work. Okay. So I, just to make sure that I understand this properly and please, please stop me if I'm wrong. So your adoptive father who was already a convicted pedophile was so only my brother is convicted only your my brother. oldest brother yeah so your your adoptive father who was abusing you um if she knew if she took you to the doctor it was going to be found out it was going to be reported and absolutely okay and so she only took you to specific doctors in which though that abuse wouldn't have become apparent because absolutely. if she reported him her money is gone. Yep. That's, okay. I mean, that's, obviously that's how I feel about the situation. Um, but it's, why else would you not take your child? What would make a parent not want to take their child to the doctor? Um, I grew up in the age of children are seen, not heard. Yeah. I grew up with, you know, you'd have chicken pox parties to get your kids the chicken yeah. pox. Oh, in, I remember those. In, you know, when yeah. school was out, hopefully. Yeah, I remember um, those. That type of stuff, you know, but yeah. chicken pox was, again, not something that you took your child to the doctor for. No. You just kept them home. Yeah. Um, 
I, I know this is so trivial in the face of what you you've just shared, but I still feel like I, it needs to be said. I'm so sorry that you went through that. That is horrible and that is disgusting. <laughs> and I'm so sorry. Thank you. It, it's but as much as like I have started de- deconstructing it all, mm-hmm. um, like you you asked about the the racism. I didn't really become aware of it mm-hmm. until much older. Um, I mm. think once I finally had language to put to it, and it took me till I was in my late teens to actually put language to racism. Um, it took us moving to a more diverse area. We moved, which really isn't diverse. I grew up in um very small town of Layton, Utah, and then transferred when I was about 17 to Salt Lake City. So that would be our our diversity in Utah. But it's still one point, I think, 4% Black in 2023. So you can only imagine the early 80s and 90s. And the racism really started to hit me in the forefront at my jobs. I did fast food as a 17 year old. And to see the way people spoke to me, I had a customer that went purposely to my white best friend. And when I was helping her put the stuff on the tray, Mm -hmm. he refused to take the tray because I touched the stuff on it. So I started to see that people were treating me way differently, um, even down in this more diverse area. And then I started to put language to it because my friend group started to branch out. I didn't have just a circle of white friends. I had friends from different ethnicities and I'm so grateful, so grateful to have all of that because that really helped me to open my eyes, deconstruct things that I didn't have the language for as a child to see my family um, in a whole new light, but also to know that I didn't know what to do. I still didn't know what to do uh, about it. I couldn't just go up to my family and be like, whoa, y'all are racist. (laughs) Um, And I I do feel that I was very trauma bonded. A lot of people are like, well, why didn't you leave for so long? I was trauma bonded. I was completely trauma bonded. My that's very normal when you're in an abusive situation. Like, yeah, I mean, I I feel like that's always like such a blind, uh, 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 you know, question to ask anybody who's in an abusive household. Like, why didn't you just leave? And it's like, right, because that's all I knew. Yep. And my and that was my existence from day one. You know, a a lot of people want to tell adoptees, you know, get over the trauma for infant adoptees. We don't have a pre-trauma self. Yeah. We don't have that pre-trauma person that we can get back to. We don't know who that person was. That person started with trauma and loss. We lost that one person in our lives that was supposed to care for us. For the last nine months, we we know their the sound of their voice, the scent of them. We hear their heartbeat. And when all that is just immediately taken from us, we go into a preverbal trauma and people need to realize that that trauma, you cannot just get past it. Some of us grew up in more nurturing environments and it was easier for that trauma to be not suppressed, um, 
but to be healed, I feel like, in, in certain ways. They were able to heal as they grew up, having maybe more trauma-informed parents. But for us that grew up only knowing trauma and loss, and it just continued to be trauma and loss and trauma and loss, we grew up, our nervous system grew up in trauma. Can I just... And, uh, yeah, you know, and grew up not seeing people. Can I just say, like, you just rocked my entire world by 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 the fact that like we don't have a pre-trauma self to go back to I hadn't heard that yet and that just everything just went in my head like that was such that is so on the money and that was so, like it's it's a, powerful to hear yes. that that a tiny infant baby we do remember the trauma we may not remember it in our our minds as a visual event that happened to us yeah but our bodies absolutely remember because we grew up in that trauma state a newborn baby is going to go through maternal separation trauma being removed from their gestational carrier and because of that event it has shaped how our bodies grew, our minds, our nervous system, mm-hmm. everything grew up around that singular event for us. And there, it, it makes a lot of sense. And as we are, you know, understanding and learning more about infant trauma and adoption trauma, you know, it's coming out because, yeah, you know, I, I, I always heard my entire life because I feel like it's so normalized within our in our society that go like oh adopt as a baby that way it's a blank slate no problems no trauma and really kind of like um kind of coming to terms with the fact of like no there is no such thing as a blank slate that doesn't exist is i think very it's very important for us as a society because it is going to it really changes our perspective on on adoption, on birth, on pregnancy, on um, on all of it, all of it connected to it. It's just the you know the ripple effect is huge. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, sorry, I'm still kind of just sitting in in what you just said, and <laughs> I'm is, still like, oh imagine, my God. imagine for us to learn that 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 yeah. has shaped why we have such great abandonment issues across the board. Um, you know why we have such trust issues. Why all these things have been shaped by that singular event, and for us to even have to come to terms with it, what is is hard. I think the one term that really when I started to get into therapy for the adoption trauma, the one term that was taught to me that shook me was disenfranchised grief. What does that mean? So the way she explained it was that when a child, if a child was in a car accident with their parents, Mm -hmm. their parents are no longer here, that child is going to always be allowed to grieve the loss of their parents. Mm-hmm. They will always be afforded that room, that space to grieve their loss of their parents, even if they were an infant at the time mm-hmm. and don't have those core visual memories of their parents, they are still allowed to grieve. Whereas adoptees, we're not allowed to grieve. Society does not see what we've gone through as a reason to grieve. They don't see that we too have lost our parents our entire family has been taken from us. That is a loss. 
but society doesn't recognize it as a loss and therefore does not afford adoptees that space to grieve what was taken from us. We're just expected to be grateful for what we now have. It's, I hate how adoptive parents love to celebrate their happiness in receiving this child because it's something they've prayed for, wished for, hoped for, whatever the case may be. It is so damaging to us to hear that you are celebrating in our grief, our trauma, and our loss, but then not allowing us that grief and loss as well, or space to understand it and recognize it. You know, I I can still, and a lot of adoptees say this, we miss our mothers. Like there is some weird feeling that just you can't even explain, but you miss this person you've literally never met at all. But you just have this Well, you did meet. You desire. just you met you you did meet as you were saying right. earlier, like that was that those are your formation like this was you know you you know you heard her heartbeat you, yep. you heard her voice um i mean you did i mean that's those are it's, you know rough. <laughs> now if to you simplistically put it if you don't mind speaking of your your birth mom and your birth dad um because i i do you know talking about our fertility industry and adoption industry um, cause I think it's, it's so important to highlight, um, the, the, just the unethical practices our, our two industries have, would you mind talking about how I would say your adoption went down and talking about the dynamic of what happened between your birth mom and your birth dad? Because you, you know, this, this part of your story, I feel like it just really highlights so heavily a huge problem within the adoption industry that I don't think we talk about as much as we absolutely need to. Right. So my birth mother and my birth father, they, from his, from talking to him and a few other people within their family, they were living together. They were in a relationship living together. He had not been aware that she had siblings. Um, I have an aunt and an uncle on my birth side, but he was unaware of these people because she didn't talk about her family. Um, it was almost like she just left and, and had nothing to do with them. Um, he says that they got up to right around the time I was ready to be born and he came home from work and she was just gone. Um, never, never found her again. And when I met her, because I met her before I actually met my birth father. So when I met my my birth mother and I asked her, you know, why, you know, why was I given up for adoption? She never really answered that one um, other than to say that because I was a one night stand at a bar baby that she just couldn't possibly take care of a baby. And because of her cognitive um, issues that she just couldn't take care of a baby. But come to find out, I have a half sister who was born 15 months later. So she was pregnant six months after relinquishing me. Um, she did it right this time though. 
um, she gave birth to a all white baby and she was able to keep and co-parent with the grandmother who was the main orchestra of my relinquishment. They could not have a black child within their family. They are LDS, uh, Mormons. They could not have, they just did not want to have that black stain on their family, you could say. And so my relinquishment became what was to, you know, deal with the problem. Um, The thing that is upsetting to me is the fact that fathers have virtually no rights to their children. Um, We see this time and time again, when the fathers do find out they cannot reclaim their children or it's a long legal battle to do so. Um, My father says that he very much wanted to be a part of my life. He was excited to have a child. He knew about this child. And for her to just be able to walk into a hospital, say that he was a a one night stand and wanted nothing to do with me Mm -hmm. and be able to give away another person's child is mind blowing to me. And back then it was, you would put an ad in the paper to say, oh, you know, father so-and-so, if she remembered the name, she was even able to put on my non-identifying information, which is a paper that you can request from the adoption agency about your birth parents. So mine just gave a rundown of ethnicities of my um, birth mother and family and why she couldn't parent me, which they made it sound like she was so in such a cognitive decline that there was no way she could care for a child and that I was that the father wanted nothing to do with me. And they're able to lie and put these lies on on paperwork. I just want to be really clear to make sure that everybody under understands your birth mom was white, part of the LDS church. Yes. And your birth father was black. And so she made up this insane, horrific story because she just decided one day, like, we don't know when it, when this happened, but like, she was just like, I can't, I can't have this baby. I can't have this be part of my narrative. Yep. But if she was in such a cognitive decline, it's so telling that six months later she was pregnant again. Yeah, she was pregnant again. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I, I tried to have a relationship with them, but it was clear that there was still a lot of racism, even within my birth family. Um, You have to remember my, my half sister would have grown up with the racist grandmother (laughs) that eradicated their her sister from the family um and so a lot of her beliefs we just couldn't align on our beliefs yeah um and and I'm better for it I'm happy that I got that chapter answered I'm glad I got to see where I came from in a way um there was still a lot of loss even within that Uh, There was an uncle I never got to meet, and he has since passed, and I know how badly he wanted to meet me, and those are secrets that I'll never have, and it's a meeting I'll never have. They took that away, Um, knowing that there's loss in losing a relationship with my biological father as well. Um, He 
suffers from his own mental health issues mm. as a older adult. And we just couldn't see eye to eye on adoption. Um, he did, he saw himself as a victim, but not me. And absolutely, he is a victim. He lost his child. Oh, he is a victim, but he could not see yep. you as like that couldn't no. be. No, I, I, I feel as though he just could never really grasp that I am a victim of losing my entire family, um, relatives, culture, knowing things about my family. Um, And that goes around to what you were saying earlier about the difference in our community. The difference in our community is we don't grow up with genetic mirrors a lot of the times, whereas you grow up with at least half your genetic mirrors. We we do. Yeah. I mean, there are there are donor conceived people who uh, when meeting their their um, their biological family do experience. I will say um, like there are some donor conceived people who don't experience genetic mirroring until they meet their biological family until mm-hmm. they meet their other half. Um, there are some donor conceived people who are so different from the biological family that they grew up with that they end yeah. because like, as you, as you very well know, genetics are a funky bitch and yes, you they are. <laughs> don't know what's going to happen. And so there's a lot of donor conceived people who end up looking and acting exactly yeah. like the donor's family and exactly like them. Yep. And so Yes, I think a lot of don't like myself. I experienced genetic mirroring because I look just like my mother. I I'm I am just like my mom's side, and so like that was there was a lot of that for me. Uh, but I'm I am lucky with that because there are a lot of donor can see people are it, it it's like they just everything from their donor side is what clicked in. Um, right. So and I that makes complete sense too. So I I would think it it's sort of like. Because it's like, yeah, no, because I, I completely agree with you. Like, we at least have half a biological connection. Um, right. But there are, but I also want to acknowledge that there are a lot of donor conceived people who don't experience genetic mirroring until they meet their um, their donor's right. family, which is very, I've heard a lot of donor conceived people say that, um, especially donor conceived people who are, um, end up being like a, a completely different ethnicity than there because hey that you know that that good old uh uh, racism really kicks in sometimes you know that is that is a massive connection (laughs) our two communities have yes yes racist undertones white supremacy all throughout our industries absolutely i would love to dive into that subject which is all oh this the happiest of subjects but i do think that this is where i think that this is such an important thing and i really think if like this is the reason why our communities actively need to talk um is the fact that our one of the the similarities that our two communities have is the is not just the commodifi- commodification of children, but how we commodify race. Yes, yes, because they commodify adoptee children based on race. Yes, we are priced significantly different based upon our ethnicity, our gender, and our abilities. They will actively price children differently. And 
it is pricing children. It is selling human children. Um, I hear the comments all the time from adoptive parents. We didn't pay for our child. We, you know, it was lawyer fees. No, let's be real because lawyer fees shouldn't be based upon the ethnicity, the gender, and the ability of a child. They're lawyer fees. <laughs> like what but, is what is a price disparity if you if you wouldn't mind me asking? Like what what are some average costs? So everlasting adoptions for a time being actually listed their pricing sheet out. Let me let me pull it up because I would rather give a more accurate Totally. No, I, I love notes. I love having notes. More accurate uh example of it than than just guess. But it's it is so telling that they do price children based on these things. We yeah. know that couples that are adopting black children are significantly significantly paying less for these children. So on Everlasting Adoption, they have their exclusive program. Mm -hmm. um, this guarantees you a full Caucasian baby only. Um, that total cost was around ten to 15000 And these obviously for inflation have probably gone up significantly. <laughs> what, what year would that have been? Um, I don't. Okay. Because I, I, I was about to say that's a lot less they than. They took this down. Yeah, that's a lot less really than what I expected. Yeah. It. Yeah, they took it down. Um, then they have their conventional program, which is going to give you a mixed a mixed race baby in some way. Um, and that's 8000 to 13000 And then they have their full African-American program. It's not their exclusive. It's just their full African-American program. And that is about 4000 to 9000 Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And 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 when we and and sort of doing the flip side into the donor conception world, just to to sort of show like that our our industries do this as well. Um, we have spoken to a lot of recipient parents who have said because we right now in 2023, um, it seems like we about five percent of our active donors are black. Last year in 2022, Wall Street Journal reported it was two percent. Um, and we've talked to recipient parents who are of color looking for a donor that matches their ethnicity. And we would see patterns. I mean, we would hear this consistently from recipient parents saying mm -hmm. that the donors of color would cost more than their white counterparts. So the fact that there's significantly less choices and they cost more. And on top yeah. of it. And on top of which, if you all uh, please listen to the episode that I have with Dr. Diane Tober, who is the woman who is researching side effects into um, egg donation. But she found on average that white and Asian egg donors are paid more than black and Hispanic donors. It's 
it's the other way around almost. It's in adoption, it's the cheapest child is going to be the black child and money is going to be tight for these people, but they want a child so badly that they will sacrifice for what they can afford. Whereas in the donor conceived community, it's the opposite. It's, It's almost as if they are steering people away from black and brown donations for the wider donations. Well, we've spoken to recipient parents of color who are like they were trying, you know, really hard to find a donor that matched their ethnicity and everything couldn't and ended up having to use a white donor. What does yeah. that sound like? Yeah. What that, that magic E word, that magic yeah. E word. But again, this is this is really where like, yes, there there is a little bit of a, of a difference in our communities. But oh, my God, it all is st- stemming from the same place. And yeah. this is this is such a common ground that it's like this is this is a problem, not just with adoption or donor conception. This is a fert- this is a baby business problem absolutely absolutely the fact that there are millions i I think it's two two million couples are actively waiting up to seven years Mm -hmm. for a womb wet baby but why if you if your goal is to adopt again it goes back to why are we not actively seeking to help the children Mm -hmm. who are in an active crisis right now it's because it's a business it's a it's multi it's multi-billion dollar industries and so obviously we have massive racism white supremacy you know rooted within our our industries we have we both have the commodification of of children um and and just to link uh, link back to it in terms of because I, I remember when this was shown to me, it was like such a light bulb moment. But we have politicians. We have the pro-life politicians who are getting paid who by the adoption industry. Yes. Yeah, there are a lot of political figures, um, even within our own Supreme Court. You know, Amy Coney Barrett has adopted. They, you start to look at who has ties to the adoption industry, who is making money off of saying, I have adopted. It's, you know, that there is, it's, it, it all goes back to business. This is all just a business to people. People have completely taken the human element out of, out of this. And it's all just a commodification for money. Mm-hmm. They don't care who, who, um, even the leaked draft mm-hmm. in the SCOTUS report spoke on the lack of um, domestic, the domestic supply of infants was getting low. Oh, when like the pandemic, it was like, I remember, yeah, the, when yeah. the pandemic happened, everyone People was like, money. there's no one, there's not enough babies to adopt. Everyone just wants to keep their baby. How dare they? And I remember, yeah. I remember that was such that was part of the leaked draft was that the domestic supply of infants has gone down. Yeah. And then the other I would say a huge similarity that our two communities really share is how our industries 
are so unregulated and all yes. of society thinks like oh my god they're so regulated they're so and, and for us we're like not even a little bit Girl, and no. not even <laughs> a little bit I mean obviously they're unregulated in different ways but like the way that like in which your industry I mean y- you know is unregulated in a way that I, I find to be some of the most terrifying things ever is the fact that you can like essentially trade children on Facebook yes could you explain yes, a little bit into this yeah, so we don't even really have a full estimate of how many children are adopted every year because there's so many different forms of adoption. You've got foster to adopt. You've yeah. got just adoptions from foster care, international adoption. Also, this is another Domestic. another similarity between us because I'm like, we don't know how many people are donor conceived. Because Exactly. So how do you keep record? <laughs> high fives. All right. So yes. yeah, okay. So how please. do you keep record of all of this? Human creation. Um, but yeah, so we lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. We were talking about the Facebook. You're totally fine. So you were saying we we don't know how many children have been adopted. Have, yes. So we don't know how many children have actively been adopted through through any one of these sources, through these streams. There, the regulation lacks there. The regulation lacks just in all the laws of how coercive it is with starting from scratch with the birth mothers mm-hmm. having the pre-birth matching is very coercive a lot of times when these women do want to revoke and parent their own children they are met with police cps um all these threats to have their children taken from them because mm-hmm. they didn't go through with an adoption you have minors that are consenting their children away how does a minor give consent to adopt their child out these are legal documents in every single way and it almost seems like the laws just don't always apply when it comes to adoption there is one set of laws that work in the real world and then there's adoption laws (laughs) you know giving threatening these women um making them think that they're going to have to pay back money. Yet these women aren't given money. People need to realize birth mothers are not paid for their children. The industry is paid for their children. They just are pumped full of how much they're going to be a hero and how blessed this other family is to receive the gift of a child. Um, There's so much coerciveness in this, in this industry, but also again, the laws, they just, like I said, they just don't make sense when it comes to adoption. And we need to start taking a look at how these laws are handled, how they're ran, get, I I know a lot of uh, former foster youth say that they would like it to be a federalized system. So all children are receiving the same amount of care, the Mm. same level of care. They're receiving check-ins. When you adopt, uh, you may have one check-in maybe a yearish after the adoption, but then it's it's said and done. You are the legal parents of this child to do with as you please. There's no checks and balances to come in and say and to see how these children are being cared for year after year after year. Well, and, and that and, causes a lot of abuse. Well, and let's talk about that that abuse and and why it is important for us and and why why there needs to be a little bit more of a of a, of a system because the statistics that we have on adoptees is quite alarming 
when um, what could would you mind sharing some of the statistics on like um, on adoptee suicide rates and abuse? Absolutely. So we just passed um, October 30th is Adoptee Remembrance Day. That is a day that we get to remember. And I do get emotional because living this life, I can see how hard some of these adoptees struggled to continue on. Um, So we remember the adoptees that are no longer here. Uh, due to suicide and due to um, their adopted parents. Um, Adoptees are eight times more likely to be murdered by their adoptive parents than kept children. Um, We are four times more likely to, unalive, to commit suicide through TikTok. Um, I I know, I know it's a TikTok language gets you, yeah. Yeah, it gets stuck. Um, to, to commit suicide than our non-adopted peers. We are double the rates to suffer from uh, substance abuse and mental health illnesses. We're overrepresented in mental health and nobody wants to take a look at that. We are blamed. We as adult adoptees are often blamed for how our adoption didn't go good. You, and it's like you realize you're blaming a voiceless, innocent child at the time yeah. for not getting a good family, for not. It's 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 definitely weird. Yeah. Um, we are uh, 10 times more likely to be sexually abused in our adoptive families, in foster families, because, again, people forget that these are complete strangers to us. One hundred percent strangers, genetic strangers. So those barriers of not harming the child because this is your child Mm -hmm. is different. Not being able to, or not sexually abusing this child because this is your child. And so seeing our statistics as high as they are, you would think that people would kind of understand our plight Mm -hmm. and our advocacy for things to be different. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we're still met with, well, that's not all, but it shouldn't be any child. Any child in crisis should not again be drawing straws that they're not going to be eight times more likely to be murdered by their adoptive parents. They should be going into homes that are even safer than biological families. When, um, so for you, like everybody obviously has, you know, heard me talk relentlessly on the changes that I want to see to the fertility industry. Um, if you, what, what would be for you, the things that you want to see as an adoptee advocate, immediate changes? Like, I mean, I mean, I know that this is like such a big question. Um, I I, I know that like, this is like a big, big question, but like, what would be some, changes that you're like if we could get like x y and z done first um like what are the things that you you think would make huge differences so for me personally it needs to get back to a point where it is child centered mm-hmm. we have completely made this industry about the adults the adults wants needs and desires to become mm-hmm. parents that we have completely forgot that there is a child in crisis mm-hmm. or that there is a child going to be in a crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to get it back to where it is child-centered, that we're putting the needs of what is best for the child 
adoptive parents, foster parents, they all need to be trauma-informed. There needs to be regulations about being trauma-informed before you take children into your home. Um, Adoption, we need to get past this part where adoption is the end-all goal. It is the gavel being slammed down on a child's life. Adoption is just the legal process Mm -hmm. that essentially strips a child from their birth rights, from their birth connections, and puts them into another legally binding contract that this is a contract we cannot annul. Mm. Um, We need annulments for adoptions when we, if we grow up and we decide, hey, this family was toxic, this family was harmful, I no longer want to be a part of this family. I should have the legal recourse to annul it and be completely free of this. Um, We need to stop changing birth certificates. Children Mm -hmm. have a right to be legally and biologically forever connected to the people who gave birth to them, who they came from. We need to start giving out adoption certificates um, to people because that's really all that they want. They want that proof that they did something. They want that proof that I am a savior. I came in, I rescued this poor societal bastard off the street. You know, they're no longer languishing in foster care. Um, But we need to get past that and learn that this is just a legal process that is taking this child's say, their right, their birthright from their family. Um, if If we got to a point where we could understand that children under a legal permanent guardianship situation can be cared for in every way as adoption, but without that finality of adoption. Um, To me personally, I feel like it would be that much better if a child that I raised from whatever age in my home came to me at a legal consenting age and said, you know, I love you. I love you as my parents, as people who are taking care of me and raising me and want the best for me. I choose you. At that point, them saying that and then going through with Mm -hmm. adoption at their um, consent, I can't imagine how much better that would feel than to take that away from a child. I, I, just because they're two or born or something and can't consent. I've heard that as well as like a proposition of like if there's like a guardianship or uh, up until the age of like 18 and then the child can decide whether or not they want to be formally adopted. And I'm like, and that does, I'm like, I feel like that's a pretty good pitch. Um, I would love to hear more like legally what is involved in that. But like that to me makes a lot of sense because you're right. There are so many adoptees who get adopted into holy shit, bad situations right. in which there is no escape. We've we've talked to adoptees who, who talk because of the adoption. They're, um, um, you know, their parents are, are able to, you know, have control over finances. There, yeah. there There's like a lot of, um, there, there's so much to it on how deep-seated it can get. Um, and so I, I, I feel like that's a very, very great option. I feel like it's a small ask. I feel like it is a very small ask because you can still legally change the last name of a child without changing their birth certificate to make them feel because people always worry, oh, well, the child's not going to feel as though they're a part of this family. Yeah, there are small changes. And if they truly feel without a piece of paper that you are, that they are a part Mm -hmm. of your family, you're doing something right. (laughs) 
you are doing it right. Um, and it would also prevent what is going on that people don't want to talk about, which is rehoming. Children are rehomed like animals on Facebook, yet you can't rehome animals anymore. It's against Facebook's rules and guidelines to rehome animals or even sell chicken eggs, but you can rehome an adopted child. The majority of them are international adoptees from what, you know, I have seen. Um, again, probably no stats on this, but these are unregulated custody transfers of these children. And there's no checks and balances on who's acquiring these children. Where are they going? Because I feel as though these people are probably at a desperate position to remove the child. So they're going to take every opportunity to remove the child. Um, and, you know, I agree with Carpuzzi. She talks about this a lot on oh, TikTok. Call, shout I, out to Carpuzzi. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out I, to Carpuzzi. Everyone go follow because Carpuzzi really like highlights the rehoming on yes, Facebook. Re I mean, she, <laughs> she does that like labor absolutely. of that. Like I, oh absolutely. God, like shout out to, to that work. <laughs> Petition to get Facebook to stop doing this. Um, so I agree easy. With her. Yeah. I agree with her that we need a way for parents to legally, by the book, relinquish these children that they have adopted mm. because this isn't the way to do it. <laughs> no, this isn't because you get not the way to do it. Well, I mean, like, I'm it's, I think it's like everybody's first instinct with the rehoming on Facebook. It's like, how many of these kids have ended up in like sex trafficking rings? Exactly. How many exactly. of them have been literally shipped off to God knows where, um, to to what freaking island, you know? Yeah. And, and now that they're just yep, and there's and no just, regulation on no. this at all, none. And, and that's and and I know that like ever you know that that's my first instinct is just like what where the hell did they go? Exactly. Where the hell did they where go? Are they? Where are they? The amount of like I, I mean we're going to find in thirty years what's gonna ha what happened to all these kids who got rehomed yeah. on fucking Facebook? It's right? terrifying. Absolutely terrifying um, to this think is, about. This. this is why I love our community, though. I, you know, I just scrolling sometimes, you find people that you didn't know were in your community yeah. that are advocating for other things. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's amazing. You know, I, I've met so many wonderful people, you included, from different walks of life. And it's it's amazing how it all intersects and intertwines. And I agree with you, us coming together and working to change the laws and change the regulations yeah. that are commodifying human, human children, people, human children yes. are at the end of all of this. <laughs> I feel like we could really do something, yes. have, you know, something powerful. And it does need to change. We really need to start taking a look at this all from a human perspective yeah, and not so much from the, the needs of, of a grown adults. <laughs> but in yeah. every one of these industries, the child-centered aspect of it is yes. missing. Well, and I think it's, and again, I'm, I'm a firm believer because I think one of the biggest issues that um, I would say advocacy, you know, has had in the in the past is not 
um, has been very much like, well, like I need to get mine. So like, fuck you. And there needs to be more intersectionality, which is why I I firmly believe that donor conceived people and adoptees need to be walking hand in hand together with this. I don't want my industry to get regulated as it needs to be. And that just pours everybody into your industry. Right. And, and vice versa. And vice versa. Exactly. Yeah. So it's why it's very important. We need to be doing this education together, this advocacy together so that all intended parents can be educated properly together on how how do we go about family building in an ethical way um, and for Absolutely. them to understand that the entirety of the baby business needs reform with as donor conceived people and people who listen to my podcast who have um who are very interested in the fertility industry and and reforming it and everything what can we do to help support adoptees listen 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 to us share us um i i feel as though the adoptees that don't have the picturesque societal perfect um, norm of adoption. When we speak out, we are shamed for it. We are blamed for our adoptions. And at the end of the day, we just want people to listen. We want people to actively just sit with us, sit with their uncomfortable feelings because there is going to be uncomfortable feelings, um, sit with it and just listen to us, share our stories, um, listen to every person in our community. Um, we have people that have gone through legal permanent guardianship and they had a, a horrible time. They were abused, you know, no differently than us in our adoptive homes. And their experience is going to be different, but it's so valid. Our foster, former foster youth, their experience is valid. Any displaced adult, because there are some that were never truly adopted, weren't really in the foster care system, but they were still displaced children. Every single one of their voices is still valid. Yeah. Um, even, even the happy adoptees that want to just tell us that nothing went bad and everything was picture perfect your voice is still valid, but you need to ask yourself, what is it doing Mm -hmm. to help an industry that is commodifying children, that is actively harming an entire community of people in some way? Um, Just, but yeah, listen to us. Definitely just listen to us. You're going to learn something. You're going to hear something you've never heard before. Like I said, it's going to sting a little, um, even for adoptive parents, you know, same thing, sit with us, listen to why we are advocating, um, the same way that you would want donor conceived parents to listen to the product of donor conception, listen to them, actively see what we're advocating for before you shame us for the advocation. Um, I know that adoption probably will always go on. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it needs to be done in an ethical way. And we need to work together to get that, get those ethical laws, get it regulated. Because at the end of the day, these are innocent, voiceless children. 
that we are advocating for. You know, for me, my life has already been and done. I, I'm still an adoptee. I would like annulment for myself and for any other adoptee that wants to be annulled. But my advocacy, I feel, is for the children that are either in the system, are going to be a part of the system yeah. to help them. They, they are voiceless. They're innocent in this commodification, in this industry that just sees them as a dollar sign. Yeah. And they deserve to have a voice, even if they're not able to have that voice yet for themselves. Somebody should be there to say, I hear you. I see you. Let me help you with this and make your life better. I mean, at the end of the day, God, the adoptive parents that have sat with their own fragility, their own issues, and have really wholeheartedly listened to us, at the end of the day, that's not for me. That's for the child in their home. That child in their home is going to have a substantially better existence being an adoptee, <laughs> having a trauma-informed adoptive parent, having a parent that truly listens to their community. Mm -hmm. People forget that adoptees, the adoptee in their home is a part of my community. Yeah. And at some point, they may not feel the way that you think they do about their adoption. You need to know how to deal with those feelings from an adult who has been in that position. We, you know, that's why I say definitely broaden your scope with adoptees because we come in all forms. We have been thrust into existences that aren't ours, mm -hmm. weren't ours to have, or just an existence that we got to live that would have been vastly different than the one that we were supposed to be in. It's it's crazy. I mean, I grew up in a in a culture that a fellow adoptee is actually of that culture, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, so we just, we definitely need to just get to a place where we are hearing the voices of the oppressed and adoptees are definitely as much as people don't like to think it, we are an oppressed community. We are a marginalized community that people support taking our rights, not giving us our rights. Mm -hmm we're not seen as a marginalized community that deserves rights to know our history, our medical history. And, and there's everything. another it's, similarity it's is yeah. our medical history is like, it's yeah, unknown. yeah. I mean, again, you know, the fact that our medical history is, you know, unknown for both of us. Um, the fact that we don't know how many siblings we have yeah. um and there's been really related to them yeah and there's there's been <laughs> accidental incest for adoptees as well yes. um yeah i mean and and also one of my favorite similarities is that out both of our sets of paperwork somehow just magically goes up in a fire the right. amount of adoption agencies and like clinics and cryobanks that just mysteriously like are a victim combusted. of arson. Yeah, mysteriously <laughs> combusted. That is my favorite similarity that we have. That is just like there is a arsonist attacking right. the baby industry. Oh, my God. And it's like, what the fuck is it's wild. It's wild. The secrets, the secrets. 
yeah. the secrets in our community. Definitely the secrets. The secrets. We is, share so many secrets. I do think that that is, I mean, if there's one thing that it's like, if, if you're not convinced that there might be some, un, let's just say this, even if you don't <laughs> buy it into everything that you and I are saying, you gotta like at least at least maybe take a little bit of a of a spoonful of the fact that they actively destroy our paperwork on a regular basis. That mm-hmm. says a lot. And keep it from us. And keep it from us. I mean, like that says a lot. It does. I mean, I can't even see my original birth certificate yeah. for ninety nine years plus one extra day for good measure. That's why. So I have to Why? live to 90, you know what I mean? Like 92. <laughs> I mean, all right, we got to We got to keep you alive. We got to keep you alive out of just spite. Just to be like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get my paper. I'm going to get my paper. It's sad. It's just sad. Yeah. To see the level of secrecy that is that is in adoption and the donor conceived community. It's. At the end of the day, the only person that is truly being harmed by the secrets is, well, the product. <laughs> well, and it, it and I think that we can clearly see from both of our both of our communities how much damage the secrecy does. And that is something Absolutely. that we can see that the like that we can see so consistently that it is. We, we have to have much more open conversations. There has to be more um, transparency. Um, yeah. And that is absolutely needed. Again, it, it's just it's it, it's and I do think that like, you know, as our as our communities continue, you know, bonding and everything and having lots of drinks together. Um, <laughs> I do think that there's going to be a lot of shared statistics and going yes. Because I do think obviously like the adoption industry and the and the donor conception industry are different. But I do think, again, as we move forward together, sharing like look at how look at our shared statistics, look at how much uh, look how many of us say our adoption papers are destroyed. Look how many of us say our donor profiles are destroyed. Um, Look how many of like, you know, the damage that um, late disclosure did for us. Look at uh, what late disclosure did to you all. And I do think Sharing those statistics is even more powerful than just collecting our statistics just for our community because, right. uh, again, we we are – we're just two, two weird siblings of the baby industry. And yeah. – we gotta, we gotta fight together, and I think it, it's even more powerful if we do that and we share those statistics. And I do think, like adoption, like y'all are a little bit farther along with like gathering that info than we are, because like us coming together as a community is like so. We're we're very very new. We are so new yeah. to this. Whereas you all are like, I would say a little bit farther along. I mean, like I, I know this is still also very new for you. Like I don't want to play that down in the least bit, but um. But I do think like we're we're the the donor conception community is like we're we're actively tr- like like we're we're all still just finding each other for the first time and going like oh right. shit I remember like talking right. to like you're one of my thirtieth siblings <laughs> I, I mean I talk to donor conceived people and they're like I had no idea we were even a community I didn't even think of us as a community right yeah so right. that's where we are we're still very new yeah no I can see that because I, I I still feel like a 
adoption communities have changed. Mm. Uh, you know, they may have started out in forums. And now that social media has taken hold, we're actively hearing. And I think that's maybe why it's so jarring to people sometimes is because they're hearing for the first time yeah, I the know. voices of the, the merchandise. The merchandise is actually speaking and they're like, whoa, <laughs> what? wait, <laughs> you know, wait. it's that's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> it sucks when the evidence can talk. Exactly. Because think about it. You know, we see it in TV, media, every aspect takes a displaced child story and runs with it. Mm -hmm. It's in. Look at Disney. (laughs) Well, when you guys displacement everywhere, but then there's always a savior. And that's what makes people think, you know, adoption is this better, beautiful life for a child. (laughs) I think it was I think it was Carlos uh, who was like, watch how many movies have an adoption story attached to it. And I remember like that stuck in my head. And like now I like watch movies going like, all right, I'm going to look for the adoption story. And I'm like, "It's it's in every fucking film. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. Oh my God. Like that's one of those matrix moments where you're just like, oh my God. It's yeah. everywhere. And for you guys, I can see um what was the star that just came out saying that she was donor Carrie Washington. Yeah. I feel like your guys are gonna have more moments like that as yes. well. Oh, now that people are realizing yeah. it's it is a taboo subject, mm-hmm. but it's a taboo subject that needs to be exposed and talked about. It, it does. And I do, unfortunately, I do think it is going to be easier to reform. And I think the fertility industry, I think we are going to have an easier time getting regulations put in than I do think than you all are. I, I think it is oh, going absolutely. to be a much because I, I think, well, adoption's been like with ingrained in our society much longer. Um, yeah. I, I do think that it's going to be harder. Um, which again is why I really call upon all of my amazing donor conceived community to actively stand by the adoptee community. Um, and it's, it is why, uh, cause I, I, I do think we're going to have an easier time, which really sucks. And it's really unfortunate. Um, but you guys are laying, I see it as you guys are laying the groundwork though. You are laying the groundwork for other industries to come in and, and, be changed and be regulated you you know when you spoke about having your that the adoptee community needs to have their our father moment we absolutely do because it's not politicians yes. that we need to change right now it is society's well, view on these things yes that we need to change and then <laughs> we can change the laws <laughs> what just to catch everybody up because these, these are like the private conversations like you and I have um, is like I've told uh, I, I, I've told Desiree that I'm like what what changed for us drastically was our father when our father came out it my everything changed for donor conceived people our father was such a brilliant documentary because it was very consumable it was it was it, it took a problem within the fertility industry and it was it's such a comically evil problem within the fertil- within the fertility industry and showed it in such a perfect way. And I think what Absolutely. people saw was if this is a problem within the fertility industry, what else is a problem within the fertility industry? And, and mm-hmm. then immediately people started taking donor conceived issues a lot more seriously. 
And I think the adoption industry needs an Our Father moment. Now, I personally think it should be on the Facebook rehoming. I think that that's your Our Father story. I think that that is exactly because I think like there isn't who the hell is going to be like would defend that. I mean, besides the parents who are part of it, obviously. And oh, my God, they all need to be arrested. (laughs) But like, seriously, they all they all need to be arrested. But I agree that needs the rehoming on Facebook. That to me is your our father moment that that is the documentary that needs to be like this. We have to show this issue within this has to be the conversation starter. Right. Um, And. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's that's the next that is a big move is we need to get you, as adoptees you your that documentary for you. Absolutely. We so we it's need a like long time coming. We need Bloomhouse <laughs> and we need Netflix to come back together. And it's like, all right, you did our father. Now you got to do the Facebook. That's what you guys got to do. It's just it's a rougher industry. I feel like adoption because of the societal narrative. I do it think makes it, is. it a touchy, touchy topic. We still yeah. have the narrative that children are there to be supplied for other people's wants, needs, and desires to parent. Ooh. We need to, we need to get that that out of people's mindset. We, I think one of the reasons, I think actually, because I'm like, why do I think it is harder? And I think it's because you're in, your industry is backed by Christian nationalism. Oh, totally. And I think that that's going to be the hard one is because ours isn't like, you know, they, there, there's plenty, there's many like, you, you know, there's there's a lot of religious organizations and, you know, who are like, you know, fuck donor conception. Uh, I mean, I've been called an abomination, um, which I'm like, cool. Um, that's it's science. Because it's science. Yeah. Oh, God forbid science. science. Yes, it's <laughs> science. And, you know, saying, you know, because. So I, I, I think that. I can see that, though. That might be the might be one of the problems as to what you yeah, all are we're facing the alternative to abortion yeah. in every conservative Christian's mindset. Adoption yeah. is the alternative to abortion yeah. when they're not even one in the same conversation. <laughs> no, I, I, I also want to like say like, now there are some Christian nationalists who are within the fertility industry. Obviously, Dr. Klein was part of the Quiverful movement um, or believed in it. So like it it is seeped like there are people within the fertility industry, but it is not backed in the same way that it is with the adoption industry. Um, Yeah, that's. That. Yeah, I think that 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 could be one of the because it is it is part of the. Yeah, the saviorism. It's part of saving a child. It's part of the culture. It is part of the yeah. yeah. It really is. It really, really. That might be. That might be part of the 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 problem that we might have in terms of like (laughs) getting y'all. Um. Yeah. (laughs) Some leeway to some laws. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. But we can do it. We can do it. We can do it because together we're stronger. We're, we can do it, um, and I firmly believe in that. And that's and so we'll we're gonna we'll get, get it there. there. We will get it there. But uh, I'm glad we identified that and got aha. Okay, that might be that might be a bit of an obstacle here. Um, it's you always know, a light bulb moment. I'm just going. Okay, multi billion dollar industry and Christian nationalism. All right, there we go. All right, that's we can we can take that on. We can totally do that. That's fine. Just 
Well, we're good. That's fine. All right, we'll order. We're gonna order a pizza and we'll we'll like brainstorm together and be like, all right, how do we do this? Let's go. There's no bad ideas. How do we defeat this? Right. That's awesome. I love it. It's true though. It's absolutely true. But, uh, but if, you know, and let me plug, I'm going to plug myself. Oh my God, um, please do, plug I, yourself. I do I... have a website that I've been working on. I wanted this website just to give a roundabout general information for people to actively go do their research. I'm providing the links. Love you it. read and you do the research. So anyone can go to the outspoken.com. Um, I been really working on trying to get a lot of links for people together, not just for, you know, adoptive parents, but also there is a side to this for people to learn about the trauma of being adopted and the traumas that we do face and mental health illnesses and stuff. But so yeah, there's a little self plug. I don't make anything off this website, but I I want it there to be a tool for people just to even get the basic knowledge of yeah. adoption reform. And we and I will put that uh website in my in my caption and there are and I and I highly encourage everybody. There are so many amazing adoptee advocates on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube who are doing just such phenomenal advocacy along with um, Desiree here. And I encourage everybody to listen to many different kinds of adoptee voices, um, yes. international um domestic would be the with that international domestic adoptions would that be correct so we've yeah it's private infant we've got private infant adoptees we've yeah. got domestic infant adoptee or just domestic adoptions which could be foster care yeah. foster to adopt international adoptees are another one but all of our stories are all completely different yeah we're going to say different things but at the end of the day that core trauma and loss is all a part of us. We all still understand that yes. core trauma and loss in our community. And it absolutely and it needs to be understood. It needs to be as you said the what we need to the most basic thing that we can do is just listen. And yeah. listen I listen and write. Yeah. And I encourage my community to really take that time to listen because yeah, we're we're we we got to we we we, we are allies and we got to help each other out and we have to understand so that as we are advocating for ourselves, we are not leaving you all in the dark. Um, so I, yeah, that, that's my ask for my community and Desiree, thank you. Thank you again for ah, coming for on. Uh, I love to you. You always seem to shine through at just the perfect moment. <laughs> I love talking to you too. I mean, you and I, like we've had these things like where I like, I call you and I'm just like, can I just like run something by you? And then like three hours later and we're just like, you know, seriously. seriously. <laughs> um, and I, I have, I, I'm I have so- mad respect for you. I have mad respect for the work that you're doing, not only for your community, but for our community as well, because you are a voice for our community in 
in a way, you know what I mean? Like we understand each other. We, we support each other. I, I appreciate it. I love it. I love that our communities can come together Me for too. the ultimate goal of a child centered Chi- yeah. <laughs> child welfare. <laughs> and I am, I'm so grateful that like, like you and other members of the adoptee community have like taken the time to like walk me through everything and, and, you know, help me understand. Um, and I, you know, I, cause I, I totally understand like that is a lot of emotional labor for y'all and, you know, and the, you know, the phone calls that like you and I have had where I, I, you know, in your explaining things and teaching things to me, it's, it really is the, we are, I'm, I, there are, and you and I've had this conversation where yes, there are problems within social media. There absolutely are. And I will not deny that, but the ability to listen to lived experiences in the ways that we are able to do now is a game changing ability. And the fact that like, I've been able to, cause in, in real life, I would have never been able to connect with you and learn nope. from you. And we've been able to like, you know, develop this friendship and this allyship. And it's, I'm very, very grateful that we've been able to do this. And I just thank you. Thank you for everything. Everything. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This oh my is God, good. My pleasure. I, 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 we need, we need this. We need this. It's, it's great. You know, our community is, you know, what we consider our community is our birth parents, the adoptees and the adoptive parents. But at the end of the day, the voice truly needs to come from the adoptee. Oh, of Just course. the same in, in your community, yeah. you know, the voice is the donor conceived adult that, you know, and I love that. I love, I love our community for this. I I love the advocacy. I love the speaking out. I love the, everybody being so boisterous. (laughs) It's, it's, it's beautiful. It actually is beautiful. It's, it's the, you know, that little baby flower seedling coming up from the ashes. (laughs) And I love it. I will get there. We're going to get there and it's going to take time, but I, I feel I, I don't know about you, but to me, I feel very validated in my advocacy because of the adoptee community and hearing like, oh, shit, y'all are going through this, too. Holy fuck, it's not just us. Y'all, too, is like that yep. was so validating for our community um, to go like, holy shit. Oh, maybe we're not like we're not just this angry donor conceived people. We're 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 not just these angry, ungrateful people. Like, oh my God, we can all be like, are we just all like angry and ungrateful together? Like, is that it? I'm like, maybe yep. we all can't be ungrateful and angry together. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a systemic problem. Weird. Um, but that's been so validating for for it me and validating. our community to go like, if it's also you all as well. Yeah then shit we're not crazy okay we're, yeah. we're not and everybody we're has had a something. different existence yeah. and we still have so many similarities that that come on people <laughs> the call is coming from inside the house yeah <laughs> answer it Oh, yeah. I mean, and and it's not only like when when we talk to as a community, talk to your community and like, again, like, you know, obviously not everything is the same, but like I have us like we've I have never been as heard before from like because the adoptee community is like, 
I don't 100% like haven't fully had that experience, but I totally get it. And it absolutely. And it's and it's been that kind of empathy and compassion. And I know I've said this word like 10 times, 10,000 times is like allyship. And it's just it's so amazing that it's like, yeah, we all we all got each other's back. No, I agree. I couldn't have said it better. I agree. I absolutely agree. I'm glad that we can come together to for the greater good, (laughs) which is children. Yes. As children having better than what we had or children having access to what we didn't have. Yeah. Uh, And that's and that's the goal. And it in it's and I know as as upset and angry as I would say some intended parents get with us, it's like, actually, we're really trying to help you all out. We're absolutely I know this is harsh and I know it's hard. We're actually really trying to help you out so that you can actually do what you want to do successfully um and giving you the tools to do it and i and and that is something that i would encourage i would i would ask parents to try and hear it maybe through that perspective absolutely because at the end of the day i mean they they stuff is going to still happen children are still going to be created yeah but giving Mm -hmm. them a better start from the beginning yeah can't be is that too big of an ask (laughs) i mean i don't think it is even even if we're able to only do a few steps forward it's still a few steps forward and then you know it's it's movement movement is movement yeah all right i do i don't want to take up more of your time even though i totally want to take up all of your time i could talk to you forever i really could i i absolutely adore you (laughs) i adore you too but and you're funny to boot so i mean uh, i'm gonna get i i I will book a show in your state at some point it's gonna happen we're we're gonna make this it's going to happen it's going to happen you've been doing some good things some good venues i'm proud of you i i I love watching you succeed it's great thank you it's great uh, I will. We're gonna. We're, we're manifesting it. It's gonna happen. I'm going to. I'm going to see you soon. It will. Um, but I will see you in the interwebs, no matter what. <laughs> uh, but everyone, go check out Outspoken's um, uh, link in the comment section. Go support adoptee advocates on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube, on um, on Threads, on Twitter. I'm not gonna cut. Call, call it fucking X. I'm not doing For it. Real. Not doing it. Um, but go go support adoptee advocates along with donor conceived advocates because we are all in this together. Absolutely. Thank you again. Thank Seriously. You. <laughs> Have a all great right. day. I appreciate you. I you appreciate too. you too, too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye.